This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. The Rays Radio Network proudly presents This Week in Rays Baseball. Drilled to center field and deep. Back on it is Eaton. To the track. To the wall. It's gone! Kevin Longoria with a two-run home run to straightaway center, and he gives the Rays a 6-4 lead here in the ninth. Coming up, we'll recap the action from this past week, take a look around Major League Baseball, and sit down for in-depth interviews with the biggest names in the game. The 2-2 now. Check swing on the slider. Strike three. Chris Archer jumps off the mound and bounces his way to the dugout. Here's your host, Neil Solons. Hi, everybody. Welcome to our show. Good morning. Today on the program, we'll visit with Jake Faria, discuss his first few starts in the majors. Doug Wechter of Fox Sports Sun will stop on by. We'll introduce you to the newest Rays player in Trevor Plouffe, chat with Charlotte Stonecrabs all-star Brett Sullivan, discuss the AL East with Rich Dubroff, and much more. We continue on this week in Rays baseball, and our feature guest this week is Jake Faria. Jake, first of all, congrats on your terrific start. What has been most special to you about the way your big league career has started? I think the thing that's been most special for me is just the way that the guys have em- embraced me as a as a member of the team. Um, just it's made me feel really welcome. I haven't had to um, – I haven't really had to feel like I've had to walk on eggshells or anything. I've just kind of been trying to keep my head down and go about my business. Um, but the, everybody's been great, and it's made it a really easy transition. In terms of the on-field, is there a moment, a battery face, something that – sticks out more than any other to this point i don't i, I think the it was the, in the first game uh, i threw a i threw a pitch to to uh todd frazier and it was a good pitch and he I, he swung it at it and kind of gave me like a little like a nod like oh that's a you know, nice pitch and that kind of reassured like hey like you have the stuff to to, to get these guys out and then actually after the game he came up to me and uh, in the parking lot and like shook my hand and told me, you know, congrats on, on the win and the debut. So that was really cool. And that kind of, um, like I said, kind of made me really feel like, Hey, look, like that's a good hitter, you know? And, and he just kind of, you know, gave you that reassurance like, Hey, you, you know, that's, you know, you have the stuff to, to compete up here. So. And you've had, obviously when you were the minors, some really good moments. I mean, you had a 17 win season, you, you know, you kind of climbed the ladder, but is there any reason why you think now, it's maybe clicked to another level. Is there something that you're doing differently or something that's kind of just advanced your game? I think it was just going back to the basics. I think last year I tried to get too fancy. I tried to repeat 2015 and that was really hard to do. And um, it's just a bad way to go about it. Try to duplicate a season instead of create a new season. So I think this year is just kind of get back to the basics of, of just pitching, not even my game in particular, just pitching and jumping ahead, putting guys away early. Um, and I think that's what's really, really made the made the difference between this year and last year. I think, you know, what you just said was kind of noted in a postgame interview ha- you had. And I think it was somewhat refreshing. You know, you, you were asked about, you know, your strategy and the way you handle things. And you said, look, I've been here long. I trust what the catcher puts down and what the pitching coach tells me is a scouting report. And it's kind of rare. Yeah, I mean, I 
I don't. I can't really note any particular instances where it's happened, where a guy tries to come up and and reinvent, you know, reinvent the wheel to, you know, to per se. But um, like I said, I'm just trying to. These guys have been here all year. They they've been in the big leagues for a long time, and they know these hitters in, in and out. And the info that you know Jim Hickey brings to the table, and you know rel- how he relays it to us is just it's invaluable and. You know, I trust that info. I trust Dino. And even, I mean, Sucre too. I mean, Sucre's a big league catcher. I haven't thrown it to him yet, but, when you know, whenever I eventually do, I'll trust what he throws down because he's he's a big leaguer. And I'm sure same with Wilson Ramos as well, as he's not too far from joining the Rays. You know, I think it's also been well documented. This has been an unbelievable month because of the fact that you got engaged. I mean, could could you have imagined a better stretch personally, professionally, to put together all in one? I don't think so. I don't think I could have imagined that it would all happen so close together. Um, I just—it's been—it's been awesome. It's been—it's tough to put into words how how special it's been, and uh, it's just been unbelievable. All the all the support from people, you know, just reaching out on Twitter saying, "Hey, congrats!" and on on both the engagement and you know getting to the big league. So it's it's been really cool. What was the most unique congratulations you got? Um... Regarding the baseball side of things, regarding the start of your career, someone maybe either you hadn't heard from or you didn't expect to hear from, or the, just the way they congratulated you. I I can't really. Yesterday, somebody a, a couple of fans brought me a duck, brought me a rubber duck. So it's cool that they're that people are kind of picking up on that. That's been kind of a ongoing. It's been subtle. It's been you know people here and there will send me one, but it was cool that they kind of that they were they they reached out on Twitter and. And told me that they had it, so I came out and signed for a bunch of people, and, and then they gave me the duck. So that was cool. But I think, like I said, it's just been the the overwhelming amount of um, support from the Rays fans. I mean, it's it's a it's a really good fan base. You know, on Twitter, they're all they're they. I mean, it, it's been really. Good. I can't even put it into words. Like I said, it's been really cool. So let's get to the duck um, or ducks. How did that all start? Um, you know, I, I know there's been a Twitter handle that's been associated. Give me kind of the 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 version of how this all began. So the duck came into play in the fall of 2010. I was playing for the Seattle Mariners uh, scout team, and me and my dad went to Arizona for a tournament there. And the hotel that we were staying at was directly across the street from the ballpark, the the Padres and Mariners spring training facility. When we got there, the hotel had overbooked a ton of people. They, I looked on the ground, and they probably had like 40 or 50 goodie bags to you know, kind of say, hey, we're sorry that this happened. So when they told us, they're like, hey, you know, here, your reservation is at a hotel in Surprise, which is about 10 miles away, uh, and here's a goodie bag to say sorry for the, the mess up. And inside was a bunch of snacks and drinks and also the duck. So I, I ate all the edible stuff, and then the duck, I kind of just thought, oh, okay, this is a cool little, you know, a cool little, you know, souvenir from this from this uh, interesting start to a trip. So I threw it in my in my bat bag, and it... I completely forgot about it that it was even there throughout the season, and then when I signed, I packed the duck. I unpacked my bat bag, saw the duck, and then I ended up taking it with me to the GCL. And I've had it every year but one. The one year I didn't have it was my first year in Princeton. I had like a five plus ERA. <laughs> I got hurt. I was on the DL for about two weeks, and it's just it was an ugly year. In in general, I ended up having to go to Instructs and I had to stay an extra month because I got hurt in Instructs too. And then, so the next year I had it, and I've had it ever since. And uh, the Twitter handle was started by some fa- uh, people that are ho- season ticket holders here at the Trop, and they've 
built it to what it is now, and um, it's a cool little thing. They keep up on all the games and all my outings, and and I get people from race fans from everywhere, from all over the place. I'll get a, like a little box and be like, oh, like I got you. Like here's a duck from Kentucky, or here's a duck from you know wherever. So it's pretty cool. So you carry just the one, or how many do you have then? I carry just the one on me, but at home I have a like a, a I have a nightstand next to my bed. And it's a bunch of different like cubbies, and one cubby is holding about twenty five, thirty ducks. So it's it's a and I keep getting them. Like yesterday, I got like I said, I got the one. Any time like family comes across one that's a little interesting, they'll keep it and then give it to me whenever they see me. So it's it, the collection is growing. So the Twitter handle is Faria's Flock, right? Uh, and what's the most unique duck you have so far? What do you have a favorite other than the one that? obviously goes with you and does it go on the road to all road trips too it's, yeah it stays in my backpack the only um it's actually no it's not it's in my suitcase right now but when i go to the ballpark on game day it's in my backpack but uh the most unique one i had a uh a, a couple friends of mine and jessica's they sent me one a couple years ago for christmas it's 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 a gold duck it's a christmas <laughs> ornament um that one's really cool they've also sent me one it's our friend it the people that I'm talking about, it's uh, Seth Frankoff from the Cubs. His wife, uh, Bess, she uh, she sent me one. It's all pink with like white polka dots. It's because I guess her favorite color is pink. So it's pretty, it's pretty. Th- those are the two mo- probably most unique ones. Um, but uh, I, li- I really like the gold one because it's it, you can see it just bl- it just shines right out of the Christmas tree. So if we had like if there was a Faria's flock section and the K of flock. Was you know you keep running K's with ducks on them? Would that work, or is that a little too much? No, I mean that's I mean, <laughs> I would. That's up to people that would want to get involved in that. That's I mean I wouldn't mind at all. That actually be pretty cool. But that's up to you know people that would want to be involved in that. All right, just throwing a marketing idea out there for <laughs> for the fans who are listening today. Hey, you mentioned your engagement too, and we didn't. You know, we kind of got uh, I don't know sidetracked or duck tracked, however you want to look at it. How did? Uh, tell me how the engagement happened. I mean, you've been with Jessica for how long now? Uh, a little over six years now. Um, so the funny thing is, she came out to visit about a week and a half before I proposed. Maybe it was a week and a half, maybe two weeks. Right before she came out was when I, like, I think two days before she came out, I bought the ring. And it had to get size and everything. So she came, left. We went on the road. When she came back, I had picked up the ring, like, the, the day we got back from a road trip or maybe the next day. And I ended up doing it. Um, There's a botanical gardens on Duke's campus named Duke Gardens. And we had an off day that day. It was actually our six-year anniversary that day. And... I wanted. I was. I planned to do it there. I had the the Bulls team photographer um, was hidden up in the up in the trees, you know, out in the, you know, hidden away. And the toughest part of the day was getting her out of bed. She loves to sleep in, and I just couldn't get her awake. So I finally just like pushed her off the bed pretty much, and we went to breakfast and uh, got you know ate breakfast. Went to Duke Gardens. And the spot I had originally picked out, people were taking engagement photos at that one spot. So I like kind of I texted the texted the photographer, and when he uh, he looked down at me and I like kind of you know pointed to him. I, there was another area I'd scouted out maybe a couple a week earlier, and uh, the, I found like the perfect perfect moment. And we have like this running joke of you know 
she was she would always tell me like oh it's going to be 10 years before we're going to be together for 10 years before you you know ever you know we before we get engaged you know whatever because it's been it's been already been six you know it's been a long time so i i just told her i was like oh well you know it's not gonna you know it's not gonna be that long it's not gonna be 10 and i got down on a knee and asked her and she didn't even say yes at first she was just so shocked the first thing she asked me was was who knows about this already like who knows you're gonna ask me so she and then i was like well do you are you saying yes or no and she like she finally said yes, and so it was really, it was cool. And then there was a bunch of people, like, like, you know, older, you know, old people, you know, walking around, um, you know, clapping, and they came up and told us all congratulations. So it was really nice. You had a backup plan. It sounds like a smart pitcher who's always got a, a plan, a game of uh, adjustments you adjusted. Yeah, it, there was a bunch of places that I had picked out just in case they were all taken, but the second one that I had picked out was was nice and open, and so it was uh it worked out. It worked out really great. And she's um, someone who played softball, right? How do you think that helps? Just to be with um, someone who's been an athlete and helps you and understands what you go through. It helps a lot because she knows, like, if I have a bad day, if she knows when a, a a certain game for me is a bad day, and if that game happens, she knows that I'm not going to be in a good mood or I'm not going to be the 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 happiest person that day. So she she isn't. Um, I think the best word I can think of is like she's not like offended at all if I'm just not in a good mood. She understands, and then she <clears throat> she knows the game really well, so it's easy to like be with somebody that I can sit there and talk baseball with, and and she understands, you know, what why certain things happen in the game that you know that do happen. So it's it's nice. Were you always a baseball guy? I know you grew up five minutes from Angel Stadium, and if if so, what really hooked you on the game? What memory do you have going to a big league park as a kid? I have always been a baseball guy. Uh, I love football too. It's I only played one year of football in high school, but it's been baseball since age six. Um, I just my biggest my biggest memory really is number one. So we had season tickets to the Angels growing up, and I think it was two thousand five. The Angels it was one of the years that the Angels won the West, and they had a day game to start the playoffs to start the the ALDS, and my dad came and took me and my brother out of school so we could go watch the game and that was awesome just you know I don't well did we even he might not have taken that we might have just not gone to school that day you know it was and that was really cool uh I have a lot of memories at that stadium I remember opening day they were playing Texas one year Vladdy opened he hit a home run his first at bat of the game uh I remember him he nine RBIs in one game I was there for that so just a lot of memories at that stadium and just there's just something about the game that you just it's it's easy to fall in love with um I was talking to TC our strength coach yesterday just about you know it's hard it's hard to say but like seeing guys hit home runs is cool I love seeing guys hit home runs it's it's really fun but like seeing guys that you grew up watching play the game when they hit a home run you turn into a fan again you know guys like like I remember watching Longo, Lomo, you know those guys before I was a before I was a pro player. I was in you know high school, seeing these guys terrorizing the team that I grew up watching. You know, and and it's just you turn into that fan again. It's really it's really cool. Well, I think the the fans of the Rays have enjoyed watching you so far, and are becoming quickly fans of you and continued success on and off the field. And we appreciate some time on this week in Rays baseball. All right, thanks for having me, Neil. It's Jake Faria. We continue right after this. You're listening to the Rays Baseball Network. 
continue on this week in race baseball and time now to take a look at the week gone by and it's been a pretty good week for the race joining me from fox sports sun is doug wechter doug thanks very much for joining us the race have been really good at these rubber matches and i guess they kind of need to to finish off this homestand on a right note today yeah absolutely i mean you look at the series over the past 12 series we've taken eight of them and uh you know the rays have just been playing so well over the course of the year it's not anything flashy we're not sweeping teams but we're also not losing these series and you know that's the big thing the first half of the season you just don't want to be eliminated and now that we're putting ourselves in a good situation going into all-star break uh looking to take another series here today against baltimore and uh you know we're we're in a good spot right now uh we've got some guys coming back wilson ramos just came back last night looks healthy behind the plate and um, he should be a big bat in this lineup. And, you know, good things are on the way. The offense has not been the concern. The consistency of the starting pitching maybe a little, or, or maybe the bullpen, too, has been a little bit up and down. Now let's start with Jake Odorizzi today. I mean, the home run ball has bitten him. Ten straight starts, he's given up one. And this is a Baltimore team that hit three homers yesterday. Yeah, it's definitely something that Jake has to concentrate on. You know, obviously his pitching and scouting report on Jake is that he expands the zone vertically. Uh, and when you pitch up in the zone, you have to be effective. You have to set that pitch up, and you can't just throw up. You, you have to go up there for a purpose. You can't leave it belt high. you got to go above the hands. And Jake knows that. Um, but as you said, Neil, I mean, 10 games in a row, he's given up a home run, and you got a Baltimore team that's known for the long ball. So today it'll be a good matchup. He's going to have to mix and match that changeup at times. And that third pitch, that slider is going to have to come into play a little bit too. If he can get that slider in, especially behind in the count, and keep these guys off balance, I think he can go deep into this game and uh, give our give our Rays a good shot to win. Chris Tillman on the other side has been anything but Chris Tillman-esque and I guess the Rays are hoping that they can put up some big numbers make it a lot easier for Jake um, because you know the Orioles starting pitching has been their big issue this year. Well if you remember um, before yesterday the Orioles had gone 20 straight games giving up five plus runs. I mean that stat is insane to me and you know a lot of it is Chris Tillman has not done his job and neither have most of the, most of the starting pitchers. Outside of Dylan Bundy uh, this staff has really struggled and if you get to the starting pitcher and you get to the bullpen that's not their A bullpen then you're putting yourself in a great position to win against this Orioles team. The problem is if you let that starter go deep in the game and they get into their a bullpen you know that's going to be a tough tough game and a tough task to ask of our offense so hopefully we can get to Tillman early today and uh we can get the win today and get this series speaking of the a bullpen for the Rays, you take who is the a bullpen outside of alex colomy i think that's kind of the big question right now can you figure out the seventh and eighth innings if you get a good six uh i think that's a great question and i think that's a question that you know kevin cash and jim hickey are still trying to figure out um chase whitley's put up some good innings tommy hunter's done well in the past uh i think each of those guys can go on a run long term and uh you know possibly in the back end of this bullpen uh do well but you know when you got a guy like alvarado going in there and he's so young you're gonna you can almost expect him to be hit or miss at times uh jumbo has definitely struggled at times farquhar has struggled at times so yeah right now there that is a big question mark on this team going into the season we thought the same thing you know who's going to get the ball to Colome? Uh, Colome has done so well. We just got to bridge a gap from our starters to him, and uh, it'll be interesting to see how it plays out. And that's why I think when Brad Boxberger, we were expecting him to be activated this weekend, and then his oblique tightens up, and you're going, okay, so when is he coming back? Because I think having him and healthy would be a, a big boon to the pen. Brad Boxberger's put together some great years for the Rays, but you say that, that that's been a little while ago, and in this game, it's what have you done for me lately? And, you know, honestly, Brad's not had a great season last year. He's been injured uh, off and on, so 
yeah, he would be a great addition to this bullpen if we can get him back healthy, but it just doesn't seem like he's healthy right now. And it that is a big blow because we were hoping that he can come in here and inject some energy into this bullpen and, uh, you know, help bridge that gap to Colome. But as of right now, you know, he goes down with another injury. It's very frustrating to see. I'm sure it's frustrating for him as well. And, um, you know, we're just going to have to wait and see uh, if any moves are made. And, you know, possibly the trade deadline's coming up as well. So you never know what's going to happen. It's baseball, and it's a lot of fun to watch. Indeed. What has happened to this point is the offense has outscored any mistakes the pitching or the defense has made. I mean, you look at 2-3-4 in the lineup between the way Longo's starting to hit, Dickerson, Morrison, and even Sousa at number five. I mean, that's really where the Rays have been very thick and tough. Yeah, I love how you mentioned Sousa because he's not getting a lot of love as he should be. But for good reason. I mean, you got Corey Dickerson leading the AL in hits. You got um, Lomo with, what, 22 home runs. And so these guys are on a torrid pace to just have the best year of their careers. But all of a sudden, you see Souza in the lower half of that lineup, and he's doing a lot of damage as well. You got Malik Smith, who's hitting the ball well. He's inserted at the top of the order. He's gone in for Kevin Kiermeyer, not an easy task. Um, but he's done a lot of good things, especially on the bases. And, um, you know, they're piecing it together. They're doing a lot of good things on offense to make up for some of the things that we're missing on defense and especially uh, in the bullpen. And the other piece that the Rays added this week I think is important. We'll hear from him later is Trevor Plouffe. He's going to DH today. Kind of a nice veteran to add to the roster and give you some depth. Yeah, absolutely. You know, the reason we brought him in is because obviously we've struggled against left-handers. He has a career over, I think, 260, 270 uh, batting average against left-handed pitchers. So that'll be a good addition there. But also, you, you said it, Neil. I mean, the guy's a veteran. Anytime you can add a veteran to the clubhouse, a good veteran leader to the clubhouse, uh, takes pressure off of the other veterans. I mean, look, Longoria, you know, obviously he's one of the veteran leaders, but you can't put all the pressure on his shoulders. you got to look to other people as well. And bringing in a good quality guy like Plouffe, um, you'd never hear any negativity coming out of him. He's always there. He's early uh, in the clubhouse, always working hard, showing the young guys kind of how to do it, almost mentoring in a way. Uh, you can never have enough of those guys in your lineup and uh, in that dugout. Good stuff, Doug. We'll see you later on. Uh, anytime, Neil. One Doug Wechter of Fox Sports Sun. We certainly appreciate his time. Before we continue, let's pause for station identification. You're listening to the Rays Baseball Network. Coming up on this week in Rays Baseball, hear from the newest Rays player in Trevor Plouffe, an all-star in Port Charlotte, and much more right after this on the Rays Baseball Network. We continue on this week in Rays Baseball. Time to take a look on the minor league side. We head down to Port Charlotte with a guy who just played in his second all-star game. That is Brett Sullivan of the Charlotte Stone Crabs, a catcher. Brett, thanks very much for a few minutes. Oh, no, thank you for having me. I appreciate it. Tell me what it's meant uh, to be, be in an all-star game the last two years, your first two full seasons in professional baseball. Uh, it's been an awesome experience so far. Uh, just being able to participate in those with, uh, you know, what we all consider the best guys in the league at that point, it's been, you know, awesome to compete against them, get to know them, um, you know, just just get to meet all their personalities, see how they are as baseball players and, it's just been an awesome experience so far and been blessed to be a part of both of them. What's been the biggest difference maybe that you've seen? Obviously, you've succeeded both years, but the difference in level from the Midwest League and low A to high A and the Florida State League? The biggest difference uh, would probably be pitching. I think uh, in the Florida State League, there's been some unbelievable arms that we faced who just had, you know, they're throwing upper nines, touching 100, and, you know, you're seeing that on a nightly basis. So that's, um, it's fun, it's a challenge, and, you know, you want to enjoy every moment of it. How about the adjustment for you? I know you were a conversion guy. You started as an infielder when you were drafted. You moved behind the plate. Where have you grown as a catcher from, let's say, last year to this year? Um, I think I've grown a lot. 
Um, I would probably say almost in all areas, as in receiving, blocking, communication with the pitchers, um, throwing. I just try to just be consistent, I think, uh, is the, the biggest thing. Instead of having, like, one good day, the next the next day, you know, you go to a bad habit. So I just think trying to be consistent every day um, with my work, I think that's I think that's been the key. And I think all areas, blocking, throwing, receiving, um, it's all just been in a little improvement. It was still a lot of room to grow, but I'm happy where it's at. Can you tell me what it was like when you were first asked uh, or the thought was, hey, we'd like to see a catch? Well, they just had, like, mentioned it throughout the year, my first year. And I never thought they would, like, you know, actually do it. But when they did it, I was all for it because I had caught along in high school. And I loved being back there, and, you know, as a catcher here in every single play, which is, um, which is awesome. And for my personality, I love it. So I was all in 100%. And then I went to Instructs, and I think they just said, all right, here you go. And I caught, I think, every day, every pitcher, just every drill they just I had to do it. It was it was a very good experience. I'm, I I think it's the best for my career to um, be back there. How much did you pick the brain of Wilson Ramos when he was rehabbing with you? Are you a talker? Are you a listener? Are you an ask questions guy? How how much did you take advantage of him being there? Um, I'm a I think I'm a big talker and listener. So I was asking him, you know, just like little questions um, um, about game calling or. Uh, what like what he's thinking on on his setup because he's real smooth back there and I I think if I can just you know pick a little thing from you know him and be more smooth with my game calling or my receiving or my blocking it would help me so I just asked him little questions here and there and he was awesome about it he gave great feedback and so it was good. it's a good experience that whenever a big leaguer comes down even if it's a pitcher because we get to catch him so um, we love having him here. Is there any particular guy that you caught from a pitching standpoint that you really enjoyed or learned a lot from? Um, I caught uh, Tommy Hunter and Jumbo Diaz, mm-hmm. and um, I just I didn't really talk to them much because you know they're trying to get in and get out. But just catching them and seeing what they have, it was awesome, and it just made you want to you know work harder and try to get the, get up there as soon as you can to catch them again. So it was a good experience. Now, I'm sure what got you drafted, and again, we're chatting with Brett Sullivan, is your bat, and you've been very successful. And maybe the most impressive thing is how difficult you are to strike out. Right now, I think you're among the toughest, if not the toughest, in the Florida State League. Is that the way you've always been, a tough guy to strike out? And how much pride do you take in that? Well, I really didn't realize it um, this year at all until someone had, like, tweeted it out. But uh, I think I'm just – what goes into it is I'm an aggressive hitter, so I'm swinging very early in the count and looking for something to hit, so that's a part of it. And then once I do get two strikes, I do take pride in putting the ball in play because, you know, when you put the ball in play, good things can happen. So once I get two strikes, I take, you know, I take a lot of pride in it, and I just try to, you know, get a hit or put the bat on the ball any way I can. And as a guy who catches, you're also unique in that you're double digits now in stolen bases. Uh, how much of the running game is part of your game, and how much does it help to kind of know what to look for from pitchers and also catchers in terms of deciding when to run? Um, it, it was always a part of my game, so I knew when I um, was converted, I talked to some people. I said, hey, I'm going to keep stealing as much as I can. And they kind of, like, laughed about it, and I, didn't, <laughs> I don't know if they thought I was serious. But uh, I, think I'm, uh, um, I think it's helped being a catcher because sometimes, like, as catchers, like, we set up differently when, when we think uh, they're going to steal or we're more relaxed when we think they're not going to steal. And in different counts, you know, 
what the pitcher's throw and what we think he's going to throw. I think it helps. Um, I think it all comes first full circle and helps me um, uh, a lot. I know you come from a baseball family. Your dad played baseball and football at Sacramento State. Your brother played college baseball with you and is now in the White Sox organization. How often do you talk to your brother, and what would it mean someday to play professionally against him? Uh, we talk. We talk every single day. Yeah, every day. Um, even if it's uh, you know if it's before the game, it's usually not about baseball. It's just about whatever's going on out there. And then after the game, we'll give a little feedback to each other. Uh, both of us know each other so well. So if you know we're doing good, we you know stay with it. If we're doing bad, we maybe give them a little tip here or there. But yeah, we're talking every day. And it, I would love to play against him. It would it would it would be awesome. It would be. I never played against him like in a in a meaningful game before. I've always been on the same team with them. So it would be interesting to see what it's like. And I'm sure the the biggest challenge being a catcher in the Florida State League is the heat. How are you holding up, and is there anything you did differently to prepare for the season knowing you had to deal with that? Um, I didn't really know what to expect with how hot it would be, but uh, it's definitely definitely a challenge. I'm bringing three shirts down, a couple <laughs> pair of socks. So I'm switching in and out of game in the bathroom, switching shirts, switching socks. Um but, you know, everyone has to do it, so it's a part of the minor league grind, and uh, you just embrace it, and you got to love it. Well, keep grinding. Uh, continued success. Very happy for you and what you've done so far. And, uh, again, keep doing what you're doing. I appreciate it. Thank you very much. And that is Charlotte Stone Crabs catcher Brett Sullivan, who, along with Brandon Lau and Jay Cronenworth, were raised representatives in the recently completed Florida State League All-Star Game. Sullivan now hitting 305 with four homers, 40 runs batted in, and 10 steals in 57 games for the Stone Crabs. That, and he's only struck out a total of 21 times in 226 at-bats, rare in this day and age. Back to the majors where the Rays this week. Welcome to Fresh Face in former Twins and A's corner infielder Trevor Plouffe. And I asked Plouffe, who was traded from Oakland, what the past week was like. When I found out I was coming here, I was excited. Um, you know, this this has been a team that... You know, I've always, you know, watched from the other side and enjoyed what they've done, um, kind of the attitude that they bring out to the field. Um, and, and plus, I was at, when I found out, I was at a time I wasn't sure what was going to happen with me. So when I got the call, you know, I guess the right word would be just excited, you know, happy to be here. Um, and, the, you know, the first week or so has been great. Tell me what has impressed you during this first week, and was it kind of what you expected watching from afar now that you're part of it? Yeah, you know, um, as soon as I got in the clubhouse, I just noticed how you know tight everybody was, and um, you know, just it, there was that feeling that we want to win here every single day. We expect to win every single day, and you know, I didn't really have that in Oakland, to be honest with you. Um, you know, were we out there going hard every night? Of course, but there's a different attitude here. You know, and, it, you know, and everybody has it. And everyone's bought into that that mentality, and it's it's something that you know, if you want to win this league, you have to have. So that was my first impression, and you know. We, we lost the first game, they came back and took uh, the next two and won the series, and that's kind of been our mentality, you know, just win these series and, and, and go from there. You were, before Oakland, always with Minnesota, so you were part of teams that expected to win and maybe didn't. I would think the team that had Torrey Hunter kind of embraced that expect-to-win mentality. Was it fair to say that similar feeling to what you're going through now? Yeah, you know, it starts from the top. So, you know, when Torrey came, came over and he was our clubhouse leader, I mean, he preached that every day. Show up to the park every day, expecting to win. And you know, we have a guy like Longo who does that. You know, he's, and he's won. And, and um, you know, like I said, it starts from there and, and trickles down. Everyone has to buy into it, and it takes the the right person to be able to portray that message to everybody. And, and I think he's the right guy, and everyone's bought into it. Like I said, so um, it's just a good feeling to show up to the park every day and, and expecting that, and, and really, really wanting that. Describe for our fans what kind of player you are and where your strengths are. 
Okay. Um, you know, I think uh, I can help the team defensively. You know, I play, you know, third, first base. Um, I can play off. I can play. I played every single position on the field except for center, pitcher, and catcher. So I can play all over. Um, but mainly, I play third and first. Um, I think I'll be able to, you know, give some of our guys days off uh, in that regard. You know, let Longo, you know, stay fresh all season long, and same with Lomo. Um, you know, on the offensive side of the of the ball, I can drive the ball. Um, I've been a run producer in years past. Um, you know, I can hit the ball to the park when uh, you know I get I get a mistake. Um, and I like to put together good at bats. So you know, I, I try to I try to you know prepare myself and, and be a, a well-rounded baseball player, not just a, a you know a single element type of guy. You know, but try to help in in any way I can, whether it be showing up with a positive attitude and rallying the boys. You know, it's it's it just depends on the day. But I want to help the team win as, any way I can. I think what the fans fail to realize sometimes is the human aspect of this game. And we always say, you know, happy wife, happy life. Uh, how challenging has it been just to go cross-country with your family? You've got a young child. You've got a second one on the way, too. Yeah, that's, you know, it was tough. And we've never had to experience this, you know. Um, I was in Minnesota for a long time. We knew where we were going to be. We knew exactly where we wanted to live. And we had it all planned out. But, you know, this is one of those situations. It's just part of the game. And, um, you know, it, ha- it has been tough, um, you know, moving moving everybody here, um, especially with a young, with a young child. Um, but, you know, she's... She's great with it. She's she helps so much, and you know, I think that um, she deserves most of the credit for getting it done. Uh, but you know, yeah, it was tough. But uh, you know, we're happy. You know, we're happy to to be here and and to you know be in the big leagues. I mean, it's a blessing every day is. That is Trevor Plouffe, who in his first week with the Rays had hits in his first three games that he played, including a home run on Wednesday in the series finale against the Cincinnati Reds. And we'll see if maybe he can do that today in a series finale. He helped the Rays take this one against the Baltimore Orioles. Plouffe is the DH this afternoon. We certainly wish Trevor, his wife Olivia, and son Teddy the best in getting acclimated to Tampa Bay. Now, after today, the Rays only have four more home games before the All-Star break. So while the Rays are on the road, you could visit the Art of the Brick exhibit, which is free and open this past weekend in Tampa. The artist of the exhibit, Nathan Sawaya, threw out a first pitch on Wednesday, a baseball made of Lego bricks, and I asked Nathan what that meant to him. Uh, this is a dream come true for me. Uh, as a sports fan, something like this is, is pretty pretty phenomenal, and to throw out a first pitch made out of my childhood toy, Lego bricks, my art medium of choice, uh, that's pretty special. I think, I think it might be Major League Baseball history. I can't think of another ceremonial first pitch made out of Lego before. Now, tell me what kind of fan you were growing up, and what are your best memories of the game? Well, I played uh, Little League up until a certain point when it was beyond me, Um, so I was always a fan. In fact, when I had my little Lego city growing up, I built a diamond, of course, so that I could have baseball happening in my in my lego city and now i've gone on to take lego in a different direction really from from that little lego city i had growing up now i take lego into an art medium making large-scale sculptures out of this toy from my childhood which real neat and i'm sure our fans will enjoy it give us an idea what fans will see how many what's incorporated into the exhibit itself well there's over 120 works of art all made out of Lego bricks. So it's a big exhibition. It spans uh, a lot of my career because I've been doing this for 10 years. And you're going to see all sorts of artwork built out of a, a childhood toy Lego bricks. So you're going to see some very surreal pieces, some human forms, um, some very whimsical pieces. I mean, there's something there for the whole family. There's, there's just a lot to see. The baseball itself, how long does that <laughs> take to, to build? And how long do most of the others take to also build with obviously all the art involved? Well, when I'm doing a life-size human form, which a lot of the sculptures are, that takes two to three weeks. I'm using 15, 20,000 bricks. 
Now, something like a baseball, this baseball is, uh, weighs five ounces, so it's almost the same weight and size as an actual baseball. I can do this under an hour. It only has a few hundred pieces. And I guess uh, the question is, how long would it take you to build your own little mini Tropicana field? <laughs> build the trop, life-size? Um, I don't know about life-size, but... Uh, <laughs> well, human form, I guess. More, yeah, to, if, you, if you did, like, a, a little mini trop, uh, I think you could probably do that, in, you know, a couple days, a couple weeks. It just depends on how much detail you want to put into a sculpture. Now, I'm actually gluing all my Lego bricks together as I'm working because I want to make sure the sculptures, you know, stay together. So that's, it, it is a slow process. And I think that the neat part about this is it's for six weeks uh, or longer than that uh, in or most closer to eight, ten weeks in the uh, Tampa Bay area, and it's free for people who attend. Yeah, it goes through September 4th. Uh, it's at 802 East Whiting Street, and it, it is free. And uh, so everyone can come down, bring the whole family, and check out some artwork that I think is something that a lot of people can relate to. Because if you see a marble statue, you can appreciate it, but not a lot of people use marble these days. But people have Lego bricks, they know it, so they can really connect with this type of art. And to also just get back to your, you know, your baseball connection, sure, yeah. what, what kind of fan were you in terms of the actual game, the major league game? Was there, did you go to a lot of games as a kid, too? Or? I did. I, I grew up in Oregon, so it was tough. There's not a lot of ballparks there, of course. Uh, so my father would drive me up to the Mariners game in the Kingdom. That my first baseball games were in the Kingdom back then, and we'd go up a lot as much as, as we could find time to. And the art, how, what the inspiration for this, and what are you hoping that fans... Uh, who come to your exhibit get out of it? Well, I think uh, as an artist, my role is to inspire folks. So I hope that when people come and they see the exhibition, they get inspired. We have some Lego bricks at the very end of the exhibition. So if you want to, and I know a lot of kids will, they'll want to jump in and build something right there. Probably some adults will want to jump in and build something. But as an artist, I want to inspire, and I hope people find some creativity out of this. And thanks to one Nathan Sawaya for joining us. You can visit Art of the Brick on Whiting Street in Tampa between now and September 4th. It is free. And again, the Rays are on the road after the game for the next week and a half and just four games at home between now and actually the third week of July. Now back to Major League Baseball, joining us to talk about the Rays opponent and the American League East is one Rich Dubrov. He covers the Orioles and has for quite some time for Pressbox Online most recently and formerly of CSN. Rich, thanks very much for joining us. Tell us or tell me how surprised you are about the Orioles pitching staff because watching them in spring training, I actually thought they had pretty good depth. Well, you know, Neil, I, I thought that they had pretty good depth too, but Everybody's focused on on the struggles of the pitchers, and, and they should be because they've been historically historically bad. But the big name hitters aren't hitting as well as as they should. If you look at all the the bold faced names, Chris Davis, who's now out, Manny Machado, Mark Trumbo, Adam Jones, all of them, their statistics are well below where they were a year ago at this time. And while it is the pitching, most of it, uh, the hitting hasn't been great either. J.J. Hardy is another name who, uh, look, he's valuable defensively, but he wasn't having a really good offensive season. But still, I mean, you look, they're, what, near the top of the league in hitting, near the top of the league in hitting with runners in scoring position. So even with that, they're still getting a lot of production. They are getting, they are getting a lot of production, but they aren't outproducing the, they aren't outproducing the pitching, unfortunately. But the, the pitching just has to get a lot better and a lot quicker before uh, it's time to make some important decisions, Neil. And I think, you know, that's something I want to get to. I mean, can it? Uh, you know, you went into this season thinking, okay, there were a lot of options, but then Chris Tillman gets hurt, and he starts today, and he's not been the same guy. And Ubaldo Jimenez, who we saw Friday, has not been the same guy. And Kevin Gaussman, who we won't see, has been kind of a mess. I mean, when Dylan Bundy's your most consistent starter, 
that kind of is an issue because he hasn't thrown more than 110 innings. No, he no he hasn't, and he's getting up to that uh, that innings limit. And what's going to happen is the Orioles are going to start backing off on him a, a little bit as we get to the uh, as we get to the All Star break because they want to make sure that he's healthy to pitch uh, all all season long. But coming into the season, I thought that they needed big years from Bundy, Till, Tillman, and Gosman. If they had big years from those three, then there'd be something to talk about. They haven't had big years from, uh, from all three, and they're hurting. So the question is, do they have options on the farm? Do they have – I mean, I know they have some kids that they like for a while. Um, is there anyone there who can step up into the rotation, like a Chris Lee, for instance, and, and help out? Well, Chris Lee is somebody that they were really intrigued about. And, uh, you know, he showed them something in spring training. But they also thought that they needed to send him down to AAA for, you know, much of the year, maybe the entire year, to learn. And he struggled a bit at AAA. And they haven't brought him up. They brought up just about everybody else they had. Uh, you know, some of them have done okay. Alec Asher, who uh, is from near this area, uh, did well at times. He did well mainly mainly in the bullpen as a sort of come-to-the-rescue guy. And then when he went into the rotation for uh, Ubaldo Jimenez, he struggled, and they they brought him out of the rotation, put Jimenez back in, and Asher has now struggled in the bullpen. So it's been a difficult uh, it's been a difficult time. They found a couple of pitchers who have done okay. Richard Blyer, who I know you saw with the Yankees last year, has has, uh, has pitched well. They thought Mike Wright was going to be uh, you know a good bullpen pitcher. Uh, they you know they started him at AAA this year, and he was starting. And then when they brought him up here. Uh, a few weeks ago, they put him in the bullpen, and they thought they had something. But now, Wright's on the disabled list with a, uh, you know, with with a with an injury. So, uh, it's been a hard year for them. So, tell me, what do you think happens? I mean, can they play their way out of this? Um, it's not like they're that far from the Yankees and Red Sox. I mean, two good weeks would get you back into the race, but two more bad weeks, and you're looking at, you know, the end of the season. Yeah, you certainly are, Neil. But. I didn't see that. I certainly didn't see this coming. I certainly didn't see them having this historically bad streak. But I really didn't think that they were playing, that they were capable of being 22 and 10 either at the beginning of the season. So maybe they were playing a little bit over their heads uh, for the first uh, five weeks of the season. Uh, I think the important thing is how do they do from, let's say, from here to the All Star break? Do uh, Do they get back into the race? Do they implode? Or the big question is, what if they sort of tread water in the next couple in, in the next couple of weeks? Then they have a real hard decision because if then if they're within a couple of games uh, of 500, they have to decide whether they're going to be aggressive and, and try and, and build something here. And, and what's your feeling on that? Because look, you've got contracts coming up for Buck Showalter, Dan Duquette. It's been well documented. It, it's been a happy marriage at times and a not so happy marriage at times. It certainly it certainly has. The important questions are. You know, do you go and do a total rebuild if things uh, if things fall apart? Uh, they have one of the best players in baseball, Manny Machado, whose contract's up next year, and he could be a record-setting free agent. Are they going to take make a real effort to sign him, or would they try and uh, or would they try and uh, sell him off now? Same with Zach Britton. Adam Jones's contract's up uh, at the end of uh, 
uh, next year. But they have a couple of assets that they could try and peddle now if they wanted. Wellington Castillo, who may be their only all-star representative, is having a, a pretty good year. He has a player option for uh, next year. Uh, he would be very attractive, I think, uh, on the trade market for a team looking for a, a good catcher for the second half of the season. Uh, other guys, not so much. Hunsu Kim and Seth Smith are both going to be free agents, but I don't know that they have huge value on the market. And as we've talked about, Chris Tillman has had uh, has had his struggles, and his value is uh, is much much lower than it's been. And one of the biggest issues I think that we've seen, we saw it last year with Chapman and Miller getting traded, and the value that they provided is really at the deadline. It seems. Bullpen arms are what provide sometimes the greatest value in return because how they can help you in a playoff series. And Zach Britton's not healthy, and Darren O'Day's just back, and I don't know whether they even want to consider dealing either of those two guys or Brad Brock at the deadline where they may get the most value. Well, I, I think that Brad Brock would have a lot of value because he has a, a year and a half, and he's at a much lower salary level than uh, than, than Zach Britton because he hasn't been a closer until now when he's uh, when he's subbed for uh, for Britton. Uh, but Brock is a guy who they may want to hang on to because if they're not going to re-sign Zach Britton because he's so expensive, maybe Brock would end up being a, a little cheaper value because they're around the same you know they're around the same age, and he's certainly proven that he could be a major league closer. What's your best guess as to the way this is going to play out, you think, for the Orioles? Uh, they have never been sellers in the Duquette era. Two years ago, 2015, they were right around 500 at the uh, trading deadline. They went out and they got Gerardo Parra for a young pitcher named Zach Davies, who's now pitching for the Milwaukee Brewers. Uh, they ended up the season at 500. Parra didn't help them much. They didn't re-sign him. Uh, but I, I think that's about as instructive uh, as you can get. I don't know if Duquette has it in him to be a seller because, as you mentioned, who knows if he's going to be here by, beyond 2018. So it, it's a very, very hard uh, – it's going to be very hard because, as you know from, from covering the Rays, it's uh, – rebuilds are very, very difficult. They're difficult to sell to the fans. They're difficult, you know, to watch. Uh, If you trade Manny Machado, do you really want to watch Joe Schmo play third base? And the Rays have kind of rebuilt while also trying to stay as competitive as possible. What's your take on the East right now? I mean, you've gotten to see some of the teams a fair amount. Yeah, I mean, I've seen seen a lot of the Red Sox and a lot of the Yankees. Not as much, of course, yet uh, of the Rays. We've seen the, the, you know, seen the Blue Jays. Uh, you know, I'm a little surprised at, at the Blue Jays' struggles. I thought the Blue Jays would be much, much better than this. And, of course, like a lot of people, I didn't see the Yankees doing this well. And then nobody saw, you know, Aaron Judge coming uh, to be what he is. But I would think that despite all their issues, um, the Red Sox have to be the team to look at for the, uh, the, the second half because they they're always going to be aggressive at the, uh, at the trade deadline. And they, got, they picked up Doug Fister, who's a pitcher that intrigued the Orioles. So uh, that, was, uh, that was a little surprising that that happened this weekend. Good stuff, Rich. Uh, we'll be following you, and also we'll be following this AL East race, which certainly is going to be interesting in the next few months. Thanks very much for having me, Neil. I appreciate it. And that is Rich Dubroff. We thank him and all of our guests on the program today, including right-handed pitcher Jake Faria, Fox Sports' sons Doug Wechter, of course the newest member of the Rays in Trevor Plouffe, Brett Sullivan, an all-star right now with the Charlotte Stone Crabs and artist Nathan Sawaya. Hey, kids, Heaven Longoria wants you to read your way to the ballpark this summer through the Reading with the Rays program, presented by Suncoast Credit Union. Kids will receive prizes for reading and receive two tickets to a Rays game for completing the program. Now, you can sign up by visiting your local library. For more information, all you have to do is visit RaysBaseball.com 
slash reading. If you ever have something you'd like to hear on This Week in Race Baseball, all you have to do is tweet me, at Neil Solons. For my producer, Len Martez, uh, this has been This Week in Race Baseball. Next week, Colby Rasmus and much more. Thanks for joining us on the Race Baseball Network.